0: and as always we'd like to thank our partners firebird rising and the beautiful game network bgn you can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair that's k-o-r-r-a-i-r.com or at bgn.fm and let's get to the show to this episode of the Rising as One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns here with Matt Trainer and Jeff Went. And before we begin, I want to do our first ad read. So actually, we got in touch with Oro Brewing Company. And this is a special shout out for everyone in the East Valley. They are out in Mesa. They reached out to us. They followed us. And they are on Main Street in downtown Mesa just off of Country Club Drive. Uh, and basically what they said is, if Phoenix Rising gets any points... The next day we will offer Happy Hour Pricing, which is a dollar off all day for rising fans with the keyword, and that keyword is rising. So keep that in mind. Tomorrow, Monday, July 17th, you can get a dollar off on all drinks. That's their Happy Hour Pricing special using the keyword rising. And whenever you're around town in the East Valley, be sure to give them a shout out. So Oro Brewing Company, you can follow them on Twitter at Oro Brewco. And now let's get to the actual game, uh, which was quite an entertaining one against Colorado Springs.
1: Yes, it was quite an interesting night. Uh, Phoenix Rising trying to maintain their unbeaten streak, uh, starting if you know, they're now at a club record of five, uh, facing a, a tough Colorado Springs team, which Phoenix Rising has never beaten in it, in its existence. Uh, so last night they came out in a 4 4 2 diamond formation again. Victor Vasquez on the left, Amadou Dia and Peter Ramage in the center, Cody Wakasa on the right. Uh, in the diamond, you had uh, uh, Miguel Tim sitting at the defensive mid, you had Blair Gavin, Bravo and Drogba up top. Now, Avila was up top in the center, and then on the right hand side was, Watson. was Matt Watson. So, uh, some interesting minutes or interesting uh, starting minutes. Of Drogba uh, gets an early shot off in the third minute. Uh, hits the side netting, but but a good effort, good effort from him early. Uh, a minute later, Blair Gavin gets a nice shot outside the 18, just hits it just over the bar. And then right after that, we get an interception, Drogba gets the ball right back. A nice little touch for Omar Bravo, just a little bit out of the reach. Uh, goalkeeper corrals that ball. And then we get to the bad point of the first half, 12th minute. Off of a restart, Josh Phillips hits a deep ball down the field uh, to Kayvon Freder, who uh, wins a header over Amadou Dia, takes turn and beats Josh Cohn on the low side, and it's one nothing. And, and again, Phoenix rising back on the heels again. I think this, you know, this will dominate probably a lot of the talk as we go on through this, you know, through this podcast but I think the Amadou Dia experiment at center back, I think needs, needs to come to a stop here at this point. Uh, I think the biggest issues we have there with him being there, a, he doesn't have the size to, to win a ball like that. B, he, he's the type of player that tends to like to push up the field a lot. And I think having him on the left-hand side where he was so effective, uh, when he first started with Phoenix rising six weeks ago, uh, you know, I think that's more of a natural role for him, and, and I would think it would be key to put him back in that spot again. But you know, we'll talk about that as we go on later on you know, through this podcast. So for the next 15 minutes or so, you know, play kind of lulled. And, you know, a lot of play in the midfield, just not a lot of hookups, not a lot of big plays. You know, we get to the 26th minute. Gavin hits a nice ball to the near post but nobody's running and and that's that was that was an issue we had all night last night was we we didn't have a lot of runners early making runs on on great crosses you know Blair Gavin had a couple great crosses Matt Watson had a couple great crosses all night but we just didn't have anybody that was on that back end of that cross making that run to put it in the net so another you know another in the 30th baskets puts a nice ball in you know, just a little high for Drogbo, not able to get there, make that touch. We get a minute later, uh, Kate, uh, Catcher gets a shot on goal, just misses wide, you know, on an a, you know, attack for them. You know, the, the high line that they had for a lot of the first half, I think, was causing issues with Phoenix Rising. You know, I think it kind of forced them out of their game for a while. We saw the heat map at the end of the first half and you could see how far back we were sitting. It just didn't seem normal for for the way Phoenix Rising normally plays. The only effort from Phoenix Rising on net in the first half was in the the first minute of stoppage time in the first half. Uh, Drogba had a nice touch, got it to Wakasa who came in off the right. A low shot, a weak shot on goal. Powadi, Easy save for him, no problem. We go into the half down, one nothing. Interesting comment. If you didn't see the broadcast, go back and listen to uh, Jose Bosch's interview with Patrice Carterone at the end of the first half. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a coach say that he almost fell asleep in his chair watching this game, but I can understand why it happened. I mean explain to me Dominic why we can have 68% of the of the possession in the first half and only have one shot on goal.
0: Well, this goes back to what you were saying about formation. We had our formation that we've been using the last several weeks, the tactical 442 also called a 41212 just depending on how you look at it, and we were not winning the battles out wide and they were just crowding up the middle they had a very high press and like you were saying we didn't have the runners that could really exploit that Drago was cut off sides a couple times Bravo barely touched the ball yesterday you know it was one of those games from him where he was basically invisible and you know the the thing that came back to my mind most was our first match against Toronto this season and our first half against Swope where there was just Absolutely nothing happening. It looked like the team was asleep. And I, I you know, I don't like to call people out too much, but as you were saying before, we've sung Amadou Dia's praises on this podcast quite a bit, but he has to do better on that ball. Um, he cannot let catcher get that ball when there's no support around him and then be able to turn around and have the space to get a wide open, clean look. That's ridiculous. There was no Colorado Springs player within 10 yards of that play. There are three other red jerseys. That play can't happen. Colorado Springs almost scored again in the 30th minute. That was the best chance for either side after the original goal. And that was off a bad giveaway in the back four, which set up, I believe, um, was that one Casher, right? Yeah, and that shot I thought was going in. That could not have missed the post by more than a foot. I think it was a few inches, but yeah you know at least one good thing is that we always seem to bounce back after that kind of a first half performance but it was it was brutal I think everyone was in agreement up in the press box and down on the field that that was not acceptable
2: yeah the first few minutes they started out you know with a couple opportunities so they had a pretty hot start but then after that they just kind of you know fizzled away and uh, didn't see much uh, action after that and Just kind of expand. One thing I saw was the, uh, they just kind of seemed out of sync, like you were saying, with the crosses and the deep balls. Um, You know, it even looked like Bravo and Drogba made him look a little tired at the beginning. I don't know if they were just, uh, you know, I don't know what's going on there, but you could just tell they just weren't on the same page in the first half. And, uh, Coach definitely uh, had a discussion with them and uh, <laughs> got everybody on the same page for the second half. And uh, Jeff will take us into the second half now.
1: Yeah, and you know, an interesting right off the bat. I mean, you want to talk about wanting to make an instant uh, change and in, in, in changing the dynamic of the game in a hurry. Jason Johnson comes right into the contest, and I don't think you can do anything else but see where Patrice Cardone was going at that point to bring him into the contest, you know, bring him in and and interject that energy that that wasn't being seen, you know. So we get into the second half. Uh, Colorado Springs starts hot. Freighter comes out, gets a shot on goal within the first 90 seconds, and Cohen makes a stop. A couple minutes later, you know, we're back down the field with Rising on the attack. Drogba gets a ball to to Matt Watson inside the box. He slips. No call. It was a right call. I mean, just just, just nothing he could do about it. He that, just right? slipped. Yeah, he just slipped. <laughs> it was a great
0: ball from Drogba, and he just fell. Like, uh,
1: then we get to the 53rd minute. Uh, Burke gets a shot on goal. It's saved by Cohen. Uh, a couple of tense moments for the Colorado Springs defense in the 56th. Balls bouncing around inside the 18. Uh, we can't get a head on it. We can't get a foot on it. Colorado Springs gets it out, clears it out. Got to love in the 58th minute when uh, uh, a lucky fan for the evening decides to get involved in the play on Didier a Drogba free kick as it gets skied over the top of the net, skied over the the, the sky boxes and hits a fan up in the top level. <laughs> we all loved that when we saw that. Uh, Bad moment in the 63rd. I, you know, We thought that we were going down 2-0 here in a hurry. Vasquez, clear, clear mistake giveaway. Leads to a break for Colorado Springs. Fortunately enough, Peter Ramage comes over and is able to make a good defensive stand at that point. Not allowing, you know, Springs to get a shot on goal that was serious. I mean, Cohen did have to make a save. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a bad one, so. Nice to see Adela get involved in the 64th minute. He had a turn and a nice shot on goal. It was just a little bit over the bar, but to see him finally get involved in the attack in the 64th was, was good to see. And we didn't see a lot of him in the first half, but he started to pick up his game in the second half. Then we get to the goal in the 66th minute. Obviously, Puati was trying to get a hold of that ball inside the box. Didn't, he had gotten his forearm to the ball, but couldn't corral it. Jason Johnson, right on the spot, grabs the ball, back of the net. We're 1-1. Now we're back in this game and everything is turned.
0: And do you mind just a side note on that goal? So I showed the slow motion replay to my roommate. He was watching from home last night. And he seemed to think that it was a very iffy, whether the keeper was interfered with or not. I thought that the GIF in slow-mo that we actually retweeted on our account, but it was originally from Chad Smith, it seemed like the ball hit Puati's hands but started to come out before Johnson touched it. I don't think the ball was firmly in his hands and Johnson just smashes it out before booting it in. But, you know, in any in any case, I, I, we're very fortunate it wasn't called, for one, because you've seen those called often. And two, it just shows that we needed that spark. No one else was able to give us that kind of spark. That goal was all hustle that's a classic poacher's goal, and, you know, if we don't get that goal, we were saying this yesterday, we might have lost last night.
1: Yeah, we might have. Interesting that at that point, even though, you know, Pouyaddy's down on the field for a couple of minutes getting getting the medical attention, they also do the hydration break at this time. Interesting that for a while, they were going to bring on Eder Arriola and uh, A.J. Gray, but held on to it for a while. They actually held on to it for quite a while, which was surprising. I think the goal changed everything, so they waited a while to make those substitutions. But when they did make those substitutions later in the second half, it did seem to energize the team even a little bit more because you bring in, you brought out Omar Bravo, you brought out Miguel Tim. It seemed at that, that point, when you're bringing out Miguel Tim, you're going for it at that point. You know, you're going for the three points. You're not going for the one because you're not going to pull a defensive midfielder to bring in A.J. Gray or an enter who are both attacking-type players, you know, into the contest to to move that along. Um, So 72nd minute, had a nice play. Didier Drogba on a header from a great cross from Eric Avila. Just happened to be right straight at Puati, who made the great save. Um, And then Avila, again, a few minutes later, gets a nice shot, but it goes just wide. Uh, Then we get to the goal in the 84th minute, obviously, I think we were all a little surprised originally seeing Didier Drogba going over to take the corner kick, but you know what? Perfectly placed. You can't ask if, you can't ask for a better corner kick at that point. Puts it right in the middle. Jason Johnson's right there. Puts the head on it. Puetti has no shot at it. Back of the net. It's a two-one lead. You know, a great play all around. Then we get uh, then we get the the indication that we're at eight minutes of stoppage time. I don't think I've ever seen eight minutes of stoppage time in my life. I've seen four and five, you've seen those types, but to see eight minutes go up on the clock, I think we were all shocked when we saw that. Because we could sit there, we could count two minutes, you could easily count two minutes for the Puati injury. You could easily count a minute and a half to two minutes for hydration, the hydration break. break. Then you could easily count maybe a minute for all the substitutions that were made. And even the funny thing is, when, when, when Rising makes their substitutions, they make their substitutions on the hydration break. So you're not really losing any time there. So where they came up with eight minutes just floored me. But fortunately, for the most part, we didn't have a lot of action. In that eight minutes of time, you know, Colorado Springs tried to put a little bit of pressure on, but never had a really serious threat. A uh, couple of yellows come at the end of the match. Obviously, Jason, you know, you know Cohen, Josh Cohen picks one up at the end there, trying to waste the time. But for the most part, the Rising defense held. Two-one win, big three points, moves the unbeaten streak to six. What, is, what do you think, Dominic?
0: Well, I mean. It's a great win for sure. It wasn't the most pretty match. Soccer's a funny game sometimes. I feel like over the course of the 90 minutes last week against Orange County, we played much better. And yet we only come away with one point and almost come away with zero. And then tonight, or I should say last night, it still feels so recent. But we were, I don't know about second best, but we really lacked a lot of imagination for most of that match. And it felt like we didn't have too many chances, and the numbers kind of bear that out. Colorado Springs had 11 shots, total 6 on target. We had 12 shots, but only 4 on target. And, you know, we get 2 goals. I think the other shots on target, one of them was just the little Cody Wakasa dribbler at the end of the first half. So it really didn't feel like we created too many chances, and yet the chances we created, we scored. As far as that go-ahead goal, it was nice to see Dragwa put in a great ball. Maybe he should be giving those deliveries more often because I think last month the roles were reversed where Bravo was giving the deliveries, Drogba was in the middle. I mean, with Drogba, you know you're going to get a great delivery. Um, but I think you have to have Jason Johnson in because he's the only other large presence in the box other than maybe Peter Ramage, but you can't rely on that regularly. So that gets into another question, which I actually just opened up on our Rising as One and this might be something to talk about later, who should be starting alongside Drogba, Johnson or Bravo?
2: I mean, I I always like to see Bravo out there, but after seeing how Johnson's been playing, you know, I've been talking about Johnson for a few weeks now. I like to see him in the lineup. Um, I I think we need to give Johnson, uh, you know, the starting position out there with Drogba. Um, He has great vision and awareness. Uh, He has The ball control is phenomenal with him, I've seen you know, just all around. I think he's, he's a good player. And obviously him and Drogba match up well together. Um, you know, they, they're on the same page, um, just to kind of talk about last night, it's, uh, you know, Jason Johnson, he, he just, he changed the game for us. Um, uh, he also had a chance at the end of the match and stoppage time to, uh, to pick up that hat trick, but decided to push the ball out to Ariola, uh, who ended up putting it above the bar. So, you know, could have taken that, but decided to be a, a good team player and just, you know, Arriola couldn't capitalize on that. So. You know, one, one of the
1: interesting things we've we've talked about over all these weeks is is trying to find that that player that complements Didier Drago, whether it's been Omar Bravo, whether it's been Jason Johnson, whether it's been a Sean Wright Phillips or, whether, you know, whether it's somebody else. You know, I, I think... In, in hearing Patrice talk so many times, he's, I think he's still trying to find the right combination of players. I mean, as you'll hear in just a moment, when, when you hear the post-game comments, uh, not only from Patrice, but from, from Jason Johnson as well, you know, Patrice wasn't too particularly pleased with Jason's effort in, in the match against Reno. And I think he really took that to heart. You know, it, he tried to tell him, look, it's, you know, I know you're a good player and I know this is not the type of effort that you like to give. And I don't want you to look at this in a bad way because I'm not starting you. You know, it's a spark plug. And I think, you know, Hey, maybe the light clicked and bringing Jason Johnson on in the second half and making him think, Hey, I can do this. I just have to put my mind to it and do it right from the start. You know, how many times have we talked in these podcasts about not getting the start that we've, we've needed. I mean, how many times have we been behind on a first goal? I'll, you know, I, I think pretty much mostly every game, with the exception of one or two, we've been on the back foot, start to finish. And and you know,
0: you want that to change at some point. It <laughs> needed, yeah, it needs yeah. to
2: change very soon. So, especially with the the depth we have, the talent, you know, that we shouldn't be in a position like that. So,
0: well. I mean, and I can open this up to you guys. What do you think the cause is of us falling behind, giving up so many goals in the first 15 minutes, and then how do you stop that?
1: I think part of it, I think, is just that they're not mentally into the game right away. And I don't know how you change that. It, to me, it just seems like you should be coming out, you know, whether, whether you're playing in front of 1,500 fans on the road or whether you're playing in front of five to 6,000 in your own home building. It just... You don't see the intensity. And I don't know if that's because you're, you're trying to feel your way into the match, or if there's something else, whether it's tactically or or whatever going on. But you just you want to see that spark right from the beginning, and you just don't see it. And I'm not sure why.
2: Yeah, I think i thinking back. I can't remember a match where we had that from the beginning.
0: We we were actually ahead against Whitecaps too. And we played very well that first half. Could have easily had a big lead in the first half there. But you're right. Every other match the last couple months, we've either started slow and been lucky to be tied at half or been behind and just, it's not sustainable.
2: Makes for a very uh, nervous second half. (laughs) To say the (laughs) least. That that, that it
1: is. Well, here are the comments uh, post-game from Patrice Caron, from Didier Drogba.
3: And from Jason Johnson on the 2-1 victory over Paul What was the message to the guys at the half? I was uh, was really not happy because I think the 10 first minutes were really good uh, in this game, and we conceded an amazing goal. No intensity. Uh, they have good players, of course, but we cannot let them play uh, as easily as they score. Simple free kick, long ball. I control. I turn easily, and I can score easily. So. Uh, the minimum is to have more intensity. The, the first uh, 10 minutes were per- perfect. After this, we we were very bad. The rest of the first half. So I really asked the player and uh, I told to all the players the time that I was not happy. We changed, of course, tactically as you could see. But I gave all of them 10 minutes because uh, we had to play with more conviction, more intensity. I'm very proud and happy about the second half because uh, against a very good team, we we did a fantastic second half, and um, I'm proud that. Uh, our fans uh, with this weather came to support us and uh, to give them the three points, I'm very happy also. Did you take any steps to um, limit their speed in the second half? Does it seem to hurt you? All the yes, that's part of the thing. We have been working uh, all the week. We need to play with more intensity and more speed most, uh, most of the time. That's why we did work. Uh, we are working a lot. You know, I'm only here for six uh, weeks, so step by step we are trying to, to get better. We are still undefeated, six games, four draw, two game one. We, we are, for the first time we are in the eighth first team, so definitively our motivation is to qualify the team for the first time for playoff. And after, uh, we must keep on progressing. I know that everything is not perfect right now, but I do believe in my boys, I do believe in this club, and I'm going to give my best for us to compete. Talk about Johnson and his effort in the second half and what, what he meant coming into the game. You know, he had a difficult uh, game in uh, Reno. We, uh, we were expecting, uh, and he knows I was expecting a lot from him, and he had a very difficult game. But yesterday, yesterday evening, I told him, please don't be sad because with the quality you have, I'm sure that uh, you, will, uh, you will have your chance. And uh, at the halftime, I, immediately, I, was, I, I thought that he would be the, the key of our success tonight. Obviously, with all the extra time you had, it's nice to have a
4: 39-year-old Didier Drogba that can take the ball down into a corner and kill a minute and a half off the clock.
3: Uh, that's the best moment in football when you are waiting the referee to whistle, you are winning 2-1, all the stadium uh, waiting for this moment also. So thank you for the fans uh, once again, and I'm uh, really happy that we give them these uh, this three points. What's your impression of the league except for your Time here. a lot of very good team no not a lot of difference between the team in uh, most of the team we are competing i can see very good players so definitely we need to we need to keep on progressing physically because uh, the first week i have the feeling that we were suffering so much against most of our opponents and there, there are players with quality uh, in most of the teams but fantastically for us to compete you're such a defensive-minded coach what have you seen in the six weeks that you've been here
4: Progression-wise, are you happy with what you're seeing? Are there things that still need to be worked
3: on? Uh, definitely, we need to... Sometimes, we, we are reacting most of the time. Today, uh, our reaction was fantastic. Last week, the ten last minutes in Orange County were absolutely fantastic. But I would like my player to be more active from the start of the game. And luckily, uh, we did uh, concede one goal, but uh, that's part of the thing we need to, to ameliorate in the future.
5: Touching on a little bit, what does this environment bring to this team uh, as far as what they've built here and and the fans coming Um, back home?
3: You know, I first said to the players that uh, for me, uh, my philosophy in football is uh, the three more important things are one, the result, two, the result, three, the result. Because if you are used every day to win, you like to win at the training, then you will. uh, we love to win the day of the game. That's part of the thing. I want our fans to feel that we are fighting every time to give us, uh, to give them those three points. After step by step, of course, we want to play uh, a good football. I cannot play defensive football when uh, so many uh, thousand people are coming to support us. I want us to be. Uh, we have an offensive player like Drogba. As you say, that uh, we need to give him balls if we want the fans to be happy to see what he can do with the ball. So, definitely, we need to progress. But. Uh, I'm so happy about what we did in the six-class game. Right, thanks. Thanks, thanks, coach. coach. Thank you,
4: Congrats, seems like last four or five weeks since you've shown up on the pitch, the, the the flow of the game has kind of changed since you've been here. Can you kind of talk about what they've tried to do to work you, uh, getting you the ball more?
6: I think uh, we have uh, the desire to play with with, with intensity. You know, so you need time for the, for the players to, to understand that and for the body to get used to it. So uh, I've been here for like uh, I think six weeks, a bit more. And, and uh, uh, well, the team the team has improved. You know, before when we considered that goal, we were lost. You know, we would have lost the game. And uh, we, have, we have the spirit to, to come back. You know, I have a great team. You know, young guys full of energy. I think you saw that today and, and the desire to, to win here at home, so it makes things easier for me. Who's
4: really
3: impressed you? Who's, who's standing out on the pitch?
6: I think uh, the whole squad because uh, you can see people start and, and the guys who are on the bench could be disappointed, but they come and they make a difference, the score goes, you know, they, they win one against one, and, and the team is fantastic, so uh, I think I will praise the team.
4: Last question. What, what has Patrice done to change the culture of this team since since he's ah, come? Patrice wants us
6: to win every game, you know. <laughs> he wants us to win every game. Ah, that's the mentality we need to have. You know, you cannot win every time, but at least you have to give everything. And, and that's what we've been doing uh, in the last few weeks. Yeah,
7: Thank, you. Awesome. Thanks,
4: Thanks. Thank you. Coach talked earlier said you didn't have your best performance in Reno not to get down on
7: yourself. Yeah. How are you able to overcome that and, and, and do what you were able to do tonight? I mean uh, I mean that's all about being a pro you know always trying to stay on top of your game even when you have an off day or off game and um, I'm happy to have such brilliant teammates as well to help you through. Um, trainings aren't that easy so you have to come with your A game every every day so that helps during the week and um, I just keep believing in myself, keep believing in my teammates and um, vice versa and uh happy with the performance tonight.
4: You always come out with so much energy. What did you see on the goal just made you pounce
7: on it? The first one Uh did. I think it's just it's just wanting to get back in the game, you know? Um, being one down at home it's, it's never a good thing and uh, and as a sub your 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 main um, Main may aim to lift the team energy. It's, it's something you can't see, but when you give, you feel it, and uh, I was happy to do that for the team tonight.
4: What does meeting players like Didier Drogba and Omar Bravo and Sean Wright Phillips, what does what that do to help you confidence-wise, you <laughs> learning from
7: them? The name alone just, just says it, you know. Uh, just their presence alone. Sometimes they don't even have to kick the ball, it's just their presence right there. And, you know, growing up, watching what those guys did in the in the top leagues, uh, it's, it's, it's just an honor to play with them, you know? Yeah.
4: You've been around the league a little bit. What's yeah. it like to be a part of the first win for this organization over Colorado Springs?
7: Uh, happy, happy. Last year, um, we lost we lost to them, so um, I take great pride in this victory, especially with me scoring. That's, that's good for me. Yeah.
4: I mean, you guys are now unbeaten in six ever since Patrice has come on board. Yeah. What what has he meant to this team? You know, coming in and, and replacing a,
7: a, such a legend like Frank. Um, I mean, I think everybody has uh, their own way of coaching, um, their own way of implementing their style of play. And uh, Didier, I think Didier didn't um, start playing until Patrice, um, as well, came, came as well. So uh, I guess. With both the personalities kind of help the team as well, and um, we're able to perform the way we did tonight. So, there's the
1: comments of Patrice Carterone, uh, Didi Drogba, and Jason Johnson after a great 2 1 victory over Colorado Springs to keep the unbeaten streak now at a club record of six. Uh, which brings us into next week's match, which is a huge match at this point, guys. Uh, playoff seating definitely on the line as. Uh, Phoenix Rising heads to the road to take on 8th place Tulsa, sitting just barely above us, uh, basically on, on one more win than we have on the season. Uh, Tulsa coming in on this match off of a 2-2 tie against uh, LA Galaxy 2 on Thursday night. Uh, had to fight back to get just to get a point because LA had the 2-0 lead after the first half on goals from, from Vera and Dillon, but it was second half goals from Judana and Savantson. And and Ian Savanson is going to definitely be one of those players to watch for Tulsa, you know, as we get ready to play them this week. Yeah,
2: I thought that was an interesting result against Los Dos, uh, having a draw against them. Um, The previous two matches for Tulsa, they beat Salt Lake City and Oklahoma. So to come in and draw against Los Dos, um, you know, if if we can play like we did the second half last night against um, Tulsa, I think we can walk away with three points.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Tulsa is one of those teams that's improved so much from last season to this. They're a team, as we've seen when they beat Oklahoma City on the road, they're capable of getting some results against stiff opposition. They're also capable of playing down to their opponents, as we saw with Galaxy and a couple other matches this year. So it's also worth noting, and we'll get to this in the standings soon, but We are on 22 points with them, and they technically have the eighth spot because they have seven wins versus our six. But, I I mean, this is going to be a very tough game to predict. This is also one I would not be terribly upset with a draw from. But we don't want to give them the three points and then have to deal with that and then come home and have San Antonio the following week.
1: And the other, I, I think the other interesting thing too is I think Phoenix Rising will definitely have revenge on their minds. is last year, uh, Phoenix Rising could not get either win, whether go whether it was going to Tulsa or coming back home and playing them. That was the six crucial points last year that, that really kept uh, Phoenix Rising out of the playoffs. Because without those six, with with those six points, Phoenix Rising would have been in the top five. And definitely probably could have made a made a statement in the playoffs but unfortunately you know playing a, a Tulsa team that really wasn't playing that well last year you know who knows if if that gets into the head of some of these guys but i think as you go ahead you know as you go forward i, I think we have a, a, a much different team than what we had last year and obviously you know a, a much more experienced team that's going to know what to do going to, going out on the road so
0: one other note too about Tulsa before we move on to another segment Roger Graham is the guy in charge of the Tornado Alley podcast that's part of the BGN network so give that a listen if possible I will try to do a match preview with him during the week just like I did with Colorado Springs this past uh, midweek so hopefully you'll get some more information on the Tulsa Roughnecks before that game just keep your eyes open for that
1: Sounds good. So before, uh, before last night's game, uh, I had an opportunity to sit down and have an interview with uh, Phoenix Rising FC minority owner David Rappaport, and uh, it was really a good time to sit down with, with him and to, you know, for those of you that don't know David, and he'll explain it in the interview in just a moment, what his background is in soccer, uh, you know, what his role is with the club. Uh, we talk a little bit about expansion. We talk a little bit about, you know, what what is ready to go as far as the MLS bid goes. Uh, talk a little, you know a little bit about everything. So, you know, here's here's the interview that I conducted earlier uh, yesterday with with David.
4: This is Jeff Went with Firebird Rising. I'm sitting here uh, before the Colorado Springs game with Phoenix Rising minority owner David Rappaport. Uh, good to have you finally uh, join us on the Rising is One podcast,
5: David. Thanks. I've actually been waiting for a while to get on this podcast. <laughs> it's pretty exclusive. tough so to get on it.
4: That, that, it, that it is. Uh, first of all, for the for the listener that really doesn't know a lot about you, kind of explain how you first got into Phoenix Rising and uh, you know what your role is currently with the club and that. Okay.
5: So I got involved with the club. Actually, let's take a step back for a second. I'm a huge soccer fan. I love soccer. It's like, there are two things I love in this world, there's like music and soccer. And I got involved with this club um, in the Arizona United days uh, because about three years ago, um, I was a music lawyer and Diplo, who's also part of Major Lazer as well, was, was my client. I was a lawyer. and. Uh, Diplo's manager, Kevin Kusatsu, also one of the minority owners, shoots me a text and goes, hey, you know what we should do? We should buy an MLS expansion team. And normally, as a lawyer, you say, no, no, we're not doing that. But as a soccer fan, I said, yes, yes, that's exactly what we should do. And I'm not the lawyer. I'm going to go find one. Like, we'll get the conflict waivers, but I'm in. We're totally doing this. I'm gonna go find an opportunity for us to invest in. Um, Fast forward about a year and a half. And I see a, uh, a deck on one of my partner's desks for Arizona United. And I saw that they were looking to raise money. And I said to the partner, I'm like, what's, what's that, Arizona United? It's like, well, it's a soccer team. It's, it's based, in, based in Phoenix. I'm like, oh, what division is this? It's USL. I'm like, oh, it's pro. All right, cool. Like, we want to buy it. <laughs> and the guy's like, what? His name was Brian Korn. I'm, I want to totally out him here. I was like, we like Diplo, me and a few other people, we want to buy a piece of team. And he's like, who's Diplo? I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me, man. Lean on. Harlem Shake. What's up? And he still didn't know. Three days later, I, I was like, cool. I tell the owners, like, go give them a call and know that we want to buy in. Um, three days later, I walk into Brian's office again. say, Brian, just call talk to the owners. He says, no, not really. I'm like, Brian, I'm going to and kill you. Like, I need you to call them now and tell them we want to buy a piece of this team. He does it, and Brett Johnson's in the line, and he is doing, like, he's, like, flipping out. He knows exactly who Diplo is. And he's like, yes, we want to get on the phone with them. Get on the phone with them. We fly out. It's, like, September 16th, I think, 2013, 14, whatever it was. During It was during the first, it was during the Scottsdale season. And we flew out, and Diplo was there. And we went out. We're like, all right, cool, we're in. So we ended up, we bought a piece of the team, and we got into it, and uh, that's how the ownership group came together. And I brought in other music industry people, Um, brought in Pete Wentz, who I knew very well, his managers from Crush Management, uh, Jonathan Daniel, Bob McClinn, people from the Windish agency that are now part of Paradigm, Tom Windish, Sam Hunt. Uh, just a few other music business people uh, Paul Adams, another, another manager in the music business and we brought in a nice consortium and wanted really to be involved with it and say, let's see what we can do let's bring like, a little bit of the music side into, uh, into Arizona United and then obviously Kyle left uh, at the end of last year and you know Berka and Tim and Detmer and all the guys who jumped in on it it's like, what an unbelievable ownership group and rebranded you know, the team I always wanted to rebrand the team I think the second I got in, because if you look at the old Arizona United logo, you see the shield has that double red, and I, I got it it's, I'm going to out myself as a Tottenham supporter, but I am, and it was hard for me to see the Arsenal shield in the, uh, in the logo, but I'm still dealing with the fact that it's a red team, and I'm cool with that, so, so we're good. Um, but that's how we got involved with the team, and the way that we look at it very much was like the idea of like the way Diplo sort of looks at the world, pieces the mission. Um, music is a universal language. Dance music, particularly, is a universal language. Um, soccer is the other universal language that exists, and that's really the way West sort of looks at Diplo, uh, the way he looks at it. Um, this is uh, this is the way that we all communicate. This is the way that brings peace to the world. It's like sort of how soccer explains everything, but the musical version of that.
4: So yeah, so I so, so I I see where that goes in correlation with each with each other. So. Talk a little bit about what your role specifically is within the club, and what kind of things you do to help with the club.
5: So, so I'm a board member. There's uh, seven board members. We have a board call every week, uh, a fairly intense one. I think two hours would be a very short board call, um, but we all get on and we talk about like issues. I'm, I'm pointing at the parking lot, like right now. I remember after the opening game, we saw all the red lights of people leaving, and it was admittedly an issue. But we speak, you know, we talk about. The minutia of everything that we need to do in order to make this an incredible fan experience. To so move it to MLS, um, whether it be speaking about architecture firms, um, we will get like a coaches report, like what happened this prior, you know, prior game. How is it going? How are the players responding? Really touching all sides of it. A um, speaking again from the music side it's like it's very much like looking at, at an act or at a festival like the, the amount of in, like the, your income streams in soccer are very similar to the music business you have touring which is like actually playing the game you have merch you have sponsorship and endorsements and there's all sorts of particulars that go along with that as well, well who's the tour manager and how does that work there's lots of corollaries with soccer and for us it's like, like you look at it, that's exactly what we do in our board calls we talk about all of those different things like, and it even gets down to design and how and how you deal with it the match they experience the television deals that we're doing who's coming in what are the potential deals we have at play and just all the reviews and my role uh, the part that I love the most is is um, I serve along with another one of my one of the board members Bill Kraus, as the uh, as the ownership liaison to the supporters groups so that means that like particularly in the beginning of the season when we were first building the stadium, ensuring the supporters had a voice, uh, Bandidos, LFR, that everyone was in the right spot, understanding even like, I mean we were, I'm, I'm now pointing towards the supporters section, look at, look at the, we were talking about when like, when the Drogba's Legend sign was going to come in, well, was that going to take over all the other signs, and how people felt about that, and dealing with a lot of those issues with the supporters and how they feel about it, and try to empower them to really, it's their culture. And we just want to go off of it. That's why there's like this we didn't invent a nickname for the team. The supporters are gonna figure that out. Whenever that happens, that's their call. So it's us listening to how they wanted this to to, uh, how they want this to evolve. And obviously now we have a big like Chelsea supporters group, they come out as well. It's it's amazing that they're coming out and the way that they're supporting this. I hope all the supporters groups come in. It'll be great to see them all like service factionate. But but I'm the guy that they speak to about it. I welcome any supporters emailing me. My email address is David. Are at phxrisingfc.com. You have an owner. You have an issue like your fan experience. Tell me about it. My biggest thing though about the fan experience right now is that I really want everyone to stop the Puto chant. I'm begging you, please stop. That's that's the my that's if I can say one thing that I would like people to stop doing, it's that I, there really is no place for it here. Um, you can say a lot of things, the F word, the Ezra, I don't care, but let's not like act in an exclusionary fashion. So that's my role with the club. That's my favorite part of being a part of the club is being really talking to supporters, being with supporters, doing our supporters calls. We do that every other Friday. Sometimes I like, can join, sometimes I can't. But Haber, who's also part of the front office staff, is phenomenal dealing with it and downloading things to me and going through like what like what can we make better, what's good, what doesn't work, uh, etc. cetera. Yeah.
4: Um talk about a little bit about, you, you see this whole process build in 52 days. You see what had happened in the past year, year and a half. You come here, you see a full stadium every week. How gratifying is it, not only just to yourself, but to ownership as well, to see what you're seeing grow in just a short amount of time?
5: My favorite way of explaining this is you know how, like, when you like something and you're really passionate about something, and you find someone else like in your town that might be passionate about the same thing, and you're always you're blown away by that. Like it's like when you're a kid you go like, Oh my God! Like, you like Led Zeppelin, I like Led Zeppelin, and we're both 11. It's the same kind of thing for me when I look at like the stadium, go, Oh my God! Like you're out supporting USL soccer, like that's really cool. And I'm I'm still blown away that like they've seeing all the people come in, and I'm so grateful that they come in and they enjoy it and they have that experience and they're they're building that culture around it. Excuse me. Um, it's beyond gratifying to see that, like, we obviously we put a lot of effort into building the stadium, to see people coming out and enjoying it. Like, we're now looking at a gentleman right now, like, coming in in a wheelchair and, you know, wearing... Know, wearing her kit, and that's just—it's just—it's incredible to see. Like he's coming out. It's about to rain. It's like, it looks like there's a monsoon coming, and he's out there. And it's—it's it's phenomenal to see. And like the fans, you get to know them. It's like, like, like John and Monica McPherson, obviously, are people that have been coming to this, coming to these games forever, and seeing them how they—they put so much of their money and love and passion into it. It's—you're blown away by it. It's like, honestly, it's like. It's like you tear up thinking about it, going like, "Oh my God! Like, thank you so much for loving this thing the way we love it. Um, it's beautiful. Like, it's it's a really beautiful thing to see. So yeah, it's it's gratifying. It's a long winded answer. I'm sorry, but it's it's unbelievable to see and just people having fun, kids coming up the stairs screaming and getting to see Didier Drogba and Sean Wright Phillips. I, mean, it doesn't matter if I support Spurs. Like, that's really freaking cool. I like to see that. Like these these like guys who are like. Like some of the grace players that like if ever grace is planted it's just it's phenomenal Let's obviously
4: talk a little bit about the elephant in the room let's talk about mls expansion obviously you know you guys were approached at the end of january to put in an application bid so you get the, the application bid has gone in mm-hmm. the, the uh, site team has come out and has taken a look at everything not only the site here had meetings at ASU. Had meetings with you guys. What can you guys kind of say as to how those meetings went? How you were recei- You know how the MLS received everything, and kind of an update as to kind of where we're at right now in the whole process. Absolutely.
5: So uh, we had a lot of the owners that were out in Kansas City last week. Um, they met with um, with some architectural firm meetings as well. So ownership and MLS actually joined us. Uh, I think that's a nice a nice statement. Um, but we are very much in the process. You know. I definitely try to temper my expectations, a hundred percent. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I was giddy with excitement about it. Um, we have this incredible, incredible location right now with access to a tremendous amount of acreage. Um, we don't have the same issues a lot as a lot of other, uh, a lot, a lot of other markets. Um, we really just need to set up our stadium situation. I feel like we're in a very strong spot. My favorite way of really describing the MLS situation is that. The best way to look at it is always to go from MLS's side and understand what is it that they're interested in. Now, you know, I was talking about this with Berka earlier today, and he was saying this as well. There's, and I, I, I talked about this with, with Kyle too, um, the best way to look at MLS is that it is still an entity that grants expansion clubs, right? So it if, if franchises. It's different than the club system that we have all over the world, Um so if you're MLS, you need to think of what you're forming. You're thinking of your entire company. You're thinking of the entire North America as, as what you're looking at, not necessarily at a specific market. Like, oh, like Cincinnati, it's phenomenal what they've done there. 21K, like on average, like, I mean, I'm so jealous. It's like, it's unbelievable what they've done. But, you know, like Brett likes to say this, you can't solve, you can't change market. Like, in the end, ultimately, Phoenix, where it's located between Texas and California, and the market that we have, the television ratings that we're getting right now, what our Nielsen rating is, is rivaling MLS clubs, is better than a lot. Um, I think it's 1.4. Uh, I have no idea if that's public, but if not, I just blew it open, regardless. Um, like, our games are airing in Tucson. I, it's like, it's easier to get a game probably in the Arizona area, like, for Phoenix Rising and this to get, like, NYCFC or Red Bulls in New York. Um, So, with that being said, if you're MLS and you look at the country in North America as a market, you're thinking, okay, what am I going to add to my body, right? it's just like having, like, a heart transplant, right? Like, will, will my body reject this heart? Will my body reject this kidney? With the kidney being the market, that's the analogy here. And you look at Phoenix... And it has all of the elements that would not lead to a rejection because of the size of its market, um, because of what what it means here as far as the television market is concerned, um, the size of the city, the millennials that are here, ASU is colossal, um, our phenomenal Latino fan base. You look out there, it's it's unbelievable what they do on a daily basis. They're, They're amazing. And it's just, it's very hard to look at that and not say like... That market's incredible. So when you think of MLS as a human body and bringing in, let's say, and getting a transplant, it's very hard to not to, it's very hard to look at Phoenix and say like, oh, we're gonna reject this. This is not gonna work. We're gonna have to get another surgery and do something with it. So that's where, that's how I feel about the MLS expansion process. It's how I view the Sacramento bid. Um, I think they're an incredible market. I visited that field. It is Bonnie Field. It's beautiful. The supporters are unreal, like amazing, amazing people, um, and say, so "I wish them all the luck in the world." They so deserve to have a team, but um, but in the end, it's like Phoenix is what Phoenix is, and I think that when you look at the tw- you know the tweets and everything that goes out, and all the articles that talk about the supporters and who's coming out and Nashville and what's happening, well, they've got twenty one thousand fans. It's about way more than the amount of fans you're bringing out. It's about all of those aspects. It's the same way that what we were talking about at the beginning of this interview. It's like, it's about, like, when you're building a stadium, it's about the guardrails and ensuring people are safe. You have to take all of those things into account, not just how many people are actually sh- showing up and going to, like, an actual game. Yeah. So hopefully that's a good, good
4: no, answer. That, no, that's a great answer. So, one of the things, obviously, everybody talks about is the fact that you know the the stadium is always the is the number one issue when it comes to the expansion. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the renderings are out there, and nothing's going to be final. Obviously, but as far as I mean, the, from what we understand and what we've what we've seen in in past, mm-hmm. is that the financing is in place. The the, the 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 obviously the the land is in place mm-hmm. it's just a matter of putting shovels in
5: the ground and getting it going yeah. is, is obviously the point correct so shovel ready yes 100% this area right here that we're looking out at right now is shovel ready we have an expansion team where like shovels are in the ground and we we can build it the key is building a climate controlled stadium it's we have to control the climate honestly for about probably 3 to 4 home games july and august and we do that, we solve for that, that's the, that's the most important factor of like dealing with the financing aspect. Obviously we brought in Goldman Sachs, um, we are, it is, it is religion to not take public money among the ownership group, the same way it's religion that we have a grass field and not do turf. Um, that, that's obviously, that's also actually weighs into the, uh, the stadium equation, but this is shovel ready ground. Um, we have an expansion team, we're immediately starting to build. Um, that's why I'm hoping we get this year, knock on wood, would be amazing because we want to be able to start building as soon as possible um, so that way we're ready for 2020. Um, but that's it. It's about a stadium. It's about now figuring out what's the correct cooling system um, that will work. Maybe it's a hybrid of a lot of different cooling systems. We've seen some amazing things from architecture uh, architectural firms um, in the last couple of weeks, like stuff that goes back towards like like cooling systems from like the Middle East like in the Bronze Age and the way like so labyrinth cooling and things like that you know to like the way like you know like I live in the East Coast and so I'm always worried about I, I always I always wanted to you know, like it's my dream to have a heated driveway but it's insanely expensive and stupid but the idea of like cooling systems and concrete and how you do that there's so many different like new and uh incredible ways to keep people comfortable um so that's part of it as well like how do we do this and create a stadium atmosphere that makes sense not just for the fans they need to be comfortable the players need to be comfortable as well there are FIFA guidelines and regulations as far as like the temperature that needs to be on the field and also for like player comfort so they're playing at level and they're not passing out. their health is incredibly important. One of the amazing things about being people don't realize it the dry heat is actually under like a massive advantage versus let's say a Houston or Orlando, which already have like MLS teams like their humi- humidity level takes their their heat to a whole different place and we're very lucky because the dry heat actually saves us because they, they analyze from a heat perspective, um, what's the humidity that adds actually adds on to it. Right.
4: Talk about the Solana group and how important they've
5: been in this whole process. I, don't, I haven't had a ton of interaction with them, but what the, uh, the interactions that I've had insofar far as board meetings understand what they've done, is the Solana group, but for them, I mean we'd never have been able to pull this off. Um, it is amazing to see their dedication and the passion they've had towards it um what they want to accomplish with this ground and how how they've worked with us in order to build this complex um, there absolutely have been incredible partners they we're, we're, I, mean, I mean we were with them today they're just they're fantastic partners and working with them and figuring out how we work with this because like, like right now we're looking at a stadium we're looking at practice fields what happens when you know we can start building more when we can start like really creating complex around this where there's like there are restaurants and like entertainment and all those other aspects that go into it. Wonderful to have that all here. And they're just, uh, the, the way they've sort of organized their assets in this land and have dealt with us is just, I, I'm blown away. I'm, like, I'm super blown away. They're, 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 I can't say enough amazing things about them.
4: One final question for you. Take the ownership hat away.
5: Uh-huh.
4: put your Put your supporters hat on. How proud are you to see the product that's out on this field? The, the acquisitions that have been able to be made by this team, and just the support that you've seen just around here in in a short amount of time,
5: that that part's absolutely amazing. Um, it's funny, we're, I, I was I was uh, I was with uh, with Wes, the Diplo, and we were just talking about like, oh my God, look, there's Didier Drogba, who's like basically like the universal Michael Jordan of soccer, wearing a kit that says Mad Decent on it. Think about where we were in 2006 and what we were doing. It's just like it's just it's shocking. It's just like shocking. It's it's like luck combined with hard work. It it's truly it's incredible. Uh, it's just really hard. My it's I lo- I know I actually really like telling this story. It's my favorite Didier story. It's the first time I met him. We were all of us were all together, and like he was asking like, "What team do you support?" And I was like, yeah, "I support Spurs." And I was like, "I'm like you, you killed me in 2012." And he totally reenacts the goal on me with me playing the role of the defender. And it's just like, but he, it's just like the lighthearted way when he does it. It's like, I wanted to kill him, but like, I loved him. It's like, it's just like, it's just his smile. It's, it's infectious. And when you see that, like, you know, we're looking at them warming up right now. And it's just, it's just, it's amazing to watch. Like, you have to pinch yourself constantly. Like, I, I, I definitely want to end off also just talking about, like, the ownership group, the people that I interface with, because all of all of our ownership groups, we all have like a crew behind us, and we all like have like, we're the representative of each group, Like, so I represent the entertainment faction. The people that have come together from such disparate backgrounds, and how we're all together, and the way we get together on board meetings, and speak, how we deal with each other. I, I've never been a part of a business like this. I really haven't, That that's like, it's incredible dealing with Bearcat, it's incredible dealing with Mark Detmer, Bill Krauss, Brett Johnson, um, Dave Stearns, Tim Reister, like Didier. It's just it's it's unbelievable to be with that with that group of people. And everyone brings another like core competency to the group and another sort of viewpoint. And I don't know, I just I, I could never we just got so lucky. We got so lucky. Like to have this ownership group, this team, like the way Barica chased down Didier and got Didier, it's just it's it's just truly unbelievable. Um, so, so yeah. Just looking at the product in the field, I mean, I want to win. I freaking want to win. Um, it's a real bummer about the injury to Regi. It's a real bummer about the injury to to Luke. I thought Luke was just starting to get like right when he got injured. I thought he was like the like his service was just starting to get good. Those crosses were coming in. That would have been great to see in the midfield. Um, and but but I'm excited about it. I like seeing some of the young guys. I like seeing Cody Wakasa. I, like, I want to see him like get to the next level. I like his fire. Um, I like a lot of these guys. Like just they're they're great. It's watching Omar get in there, his passion. I mean, I love that that team picture we saw like the other week with Didier in front, doing the thing, and the team behind him. Omar's got his shorts hiked up. It's hilarious. It's almost like I kind of wish he was taking the piss out of Ronaldo. But um, it's just it's just it's great to watch. Love Patrice. Great coach. What a find. Um, Rick, the whole crew, just 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 great. I have to be careful. It's like I feel like it's like Frank Sinatra getting like, you know, like the music's playing me off the stage. But like everyone seriously involved in the club, I, I it's, it's it's impossible. Like it's impossible to say a bad word. It's and, and it goes all the way to the supporters. Like when I run into like you know John, Monica, Marco, Richard, like everyone across the board. Ryan, Kia, like all the crew. And it's great seeing you and Kyle. It's 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 it's, it's a family. It's an absolute family, and I, I love watching it. Andrew, it's like, it's, I, I, God, I hope no one hates me afterwards. Christine, I'm trying to get everyone's name in. But, like, everyone's just fantastic. It's the way they get in there, and, like, the way they support the club, and that, that family atmosphere. That's why I can't wait for them to come up with a nickname. It would be great to see a nickname come out from that. So, like, all good. And, by the way, I'm not a proponent of Red Ghosts, just want to make that clear. Uh, that's not, that's not. Whatever they come up with, it's cool.
4: Well, thank you for the time, David. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and uh, feel free to come back anytime you'd like.
5: Love it. I listen to your podcast, obviously, every week. So it's a great podcast. Looking forward to getting like a ton more listeners. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. I love it. And, Jeff, thank you so much for your time. So cool. And thank you for supporting our club and being such an early supporter of what it is that we're doing. And a cheerleader it means a lot to us. Thank you. All
4: right. Thanks a lot, and have a great evening.
5: So that is
1: our interview with David Rappaport, uh, minority owner of Phoenix Rising FC. You know a couple of interesting points that you listened listen to that interview. Uh, first of all, what a huge soccer fan David is. I mean, just just to hear him talk about you know his love for Tottenham and 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 everything about soccer and about you know not only how how important the game is to him, but you know I, I think it's interesting to hear the comments about how he correlates music. You know which is part of his industry with how you know how soccer kind of meshes with that as well and, and to hear some of the comments finally some from, from some members of ownership as far as the MLS bid and as far as you know where the stadium situation sits and all that you know it, it's great to hear and uh, hopefully sometime next week uh, uh, Firebird Rising executive uh, in charge Kyle Kepner was able to sit down with not only David Rappaport as well but he also sat down with Brett Johnson and a couple other members of the Phoenix Rising uh, front office group uh, talked about the situation. So uh, be on the lookout the next week for, for an article on, on Firebird Rising talking about the upcoming uh, MLS expansion where everything sits.
0: Yeah, and one last note, too. I think it's just so commendable how humble uh, David Rappaport is because you know people don't realize he is a large partner in New York uh, office for a major law firm i'm not going to give the name on air but uh, he has a very strong legal career and all the accolades and yet he decides to take the time to sit down and be uh, there for a 20-minute interview with jeff he's taken the time to visit arizona state school of law for their master sports law and business before and you know he's really he's actually at matches gone to the supporter session and gotten the crowd riled up and made sure to reach out to people whenever possible he follows the podcast so for him to be as engaged and as humble as he is is really special so
2: yeah he made a trip out to the supporter section last night um so it was pretty awesome I mean, getting everybody cheered up and that was uh i believe after Johnson's second goal so everybody was already fired up you know so he just came out to see everybody I thought that was awesome you yeah know? it was also
1: nice to see uh, Brett Johnson over in the supporters group as well Brett has been with this team for a long time and, and now that he's the governor of the of the team you know it's, it's great to see him out there it's great to see a lot of these owners take the initiative to be able to go out there and be with the fans you didn't see that a lot with previous entities of this group and you know you can't ask for anything better but have an ownership group that you have in there right now that's so committed to being with this club whether it's its fan whether it's its its players whether it's its uh, corporate partners you know it's great to see that they're out there pushing this initiative so
0: well shall we get to the matches around the league Let's,
1: let's get into the week in review week 17 of of the season uh, starting Wednesday night, Swope Park Rangers got a one-nothing victory over Vancouver. It was a Carlton-Belmar goal in the 65th minute. They gave Swope Park the three points, an important three points to help uh, Phoenix Rising's cause for sure. I mean, obviously Swope is way ahead of us in the standings, but to keep a team that's close behind us in Vancouver off the board, off of three points or even off of one point, was a, was a big help. Uh, Harrisburg gets a 2-0 win over New York on Wednesday. On Thursday, Orlando gets a 1-1 tie with uh, Tampa Bay. We already talked about the 2-2 draw LA and Tulsa had on Thursday. Uh, Interesting result on Friday, San Antonio with a 1-1 draw against Oklahoma City. It was a Forbes goal in the first half, followed up by a Miguel Gonzalez goal, almost at the death, to to give Oklahoma City a point out of this one.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting match. I actually saw the last 30 minutes on ESPNU, which, by the way, this is very cool that they're showing Friday night matches on ESPNU. I don't know if we're going to get on there yet. I know we we did once, but I don't think it was ESPNU. But they're showing a lot of them now on ESPNU, so that's something cool. wasn't a terribly impressive performance from San Antonio. They lost the possession battle. I mean, they were content to get that 1-0 win, but... You know, Credit to OKC Energy for giving it a go. They actually had a chance for a penalty kick in the 83rd minute, I want to say. But that missed, and yet they still get the equalizer on a very nice finish after a really mad scramble in the box.
1: Well, we're getting to Saturday's action. Ottawa and Richmond had a 1-1 draw. Charlotte with a 3-2 win over New York Red Bulls. Bethlehem and Pittsburgh drew 1-1. Harrisburg and Richmond also had a one-one draw. FC Cincinnati over Louisville three-two. St. Louis beats Charlotte one 0 Here's an interest. The other interesting result on Saturday: Vancouver a one-one draw against Reno. Uh, it was it was a goal by Bevan for for Vancouver, and then Brown scored for Reno to give Reno a point. Uh, again, it's another important result for Phoenix Rising. Being that Reno is so close, only being four points ahead of us now, as we'll get to the standings in just a moment. But again, another bad result for Vancouver, which keeps Vancouver below us in the standings.
0: Yeah, that's got to feel like a real missed opportunity for Reno as well. They actually went ahead in the seventy-third minute on that Brian Brown goal, and it you know at that point it looks like Reno is going to keep their hot streak rolling with the win, and you know Vancouver does battle back, but. It's a great result for us. We're now only four points back of Reno, who's in fourth place, and we still have match in hand. And, you know, that just helps us widen the gap with Vancouver as they continue to slide down. Uh, A couple huge draws that were just really fantastic results for us. You'll see once we get to the actual table how we're really closing that gap. And that's what three points can do for you.
1: Yeah. Games being played on Sunday before we take this podcast. Portland plays uh, Swope Park Rangers in a a big match that's going to impact Phoenix Rising as it comes down the road. Seattle playing uh, Orange County. So that brings us to the end of week 17 in the USL. And here are the standings as we speak in the West. It's RSL at the top, 14-2-1 and for 43 points. Then it's San Antonio in second at 10-1 and 6 for 36 points. Then you go to Swalt Park Rangers in third, 10-4 and 2 with 32 points. Reno is in fourth, 7-4 and 5 for 26. Then in fifth at Sacramento, 7-6 and 4 for 25. Colorado Springs stays in 6th at 6, 7, and 6 for 24 points. It's Seattle in 7th at 7, 8 and 2 for 23 points. Currently holding the eighth spot is Tulsa at 7 8 and 1 with 22 points. And just a reminder at the top eight, every team in the top eight has played more games than Phoenix Rising. So as we get to the bottom of the table, in ninth, Phoenix 6 5 and 4 for 22 points. In 10th, uh, it's Rio Grande 6 7 and 2 for 20 points. In 11th, it's Oklahoma City 5 8 and 4 or 19 points. Vancouver 12th four, nine, and five for 17 points. In 13th is Orange County, four, four, and three with 15 points on a minus two goal differential. Then it's LA in 14th, four, 11, and three with 15 points in a most beautiful minus 23 goal differential. <laughs> and then rounding out the standings for the Western Conference, it's uh, Portland Timbers to one fourteen and two for five points. So that's your USL wrap-up for this week week 17 in the league
0: and uh, looking looking better and better for us all the time
1: so we get to the point of the show where we'll talk about some little news and notes uh, obviously everybody's been following the gold Cup this week you know US advances off a three nothing win yesterday against Nicaragua wins the group uh, made some changes to the roster obviously bringing in the heavy hitters now at this point for the tournament uh, Josie Helvesdoors being brought in on the roster, Clint Dempsey being brought in on the roster, uh, Tim Howard being brought in on the roster, and, and the, of course, the interesting, uh, I guess I don't know if you want to call it the the key member of this call-up, Jesse Gonzalez, the goalkeeper from FC Dallas. Obviously, the U.S. is trying to cup-tie him. Will we see him at some point in this in this gold cup so they do cup-tie him? It'll be interesting as they go forward. They, you know... You bring him in as a sub late in the game where they're, they're clearly ahead and can cup tie him. you wait till later on in the tournament when you have a situation where it's either okay if you're losing the semis and you're playing a third place game he gets a full you know he gets a full cap there. I, I think it's going to be interesting as we go down this line you know with the rest of the tournament uh, you know what they'll what they'll do with him. Obviously Thursday you've got the games here. Uh, in Glendale, you'll have Mexico playing here. Obviously, we don't know whether it'll be the early or the late game. Like we had talked off here beforehand, Canada, Jamaica is definitely going to be an interesting game to watch.
0: Well, let's not let's not pencil that one in stone yet because right now, I mean, Mexico and Jamaica are tied on points. Mexico has the slight edge, but we we will see how the matches shake out. But the most likely uh, pairings will be. Mexico-Honduras, probably that's going to be the late match. And Jamaica-Canada. And I think those would be fantastic quarterfinal matchups. I mean, really, really. I I mean, Jamaica-Canada, I think, would be a highly competitive game. Probably go to extra time. And then Mexico-Honduras, I mean, that's just a fiery rivalry. So, yeah, if you can get out to Glendale for this Thursday, I mean, it's not very often that you get two games for the price of one ticket and games of that kind of quality.
2: Yeah, and you might want to get your tickets before uh, Mexico locks down the the match here because I think the tickets will go fast once it's uh, finalized that they'll be playing here. You know, there might be some uh, casual soccer fans who don't don't know that uh, Mexico has a good chance of playing there and uh, they'll find that out and they'll be gone. Uh, I just kind of wanted to comment on the, uh, the discussion about uh, Jesse Gonzalez. Uh, you know, I really hope that we can see him get a little bit of time during the, um, the Gold Cup because that would be a good chance to kind of – I mean, we know what he's capable of, but let's see how he, he plays for the U.S. men's national team. And then, you know, then going into the finishing up of the World Cup qualifying, you can have him, you know, in the lineup and put him in as if, if you need to. If something happens to Howard or if Howard needs to take a break, I think this would be a good opportunity to uh, test him out and hopefully they follow through with that.
1: Well, and you got to think as well. you got you got to – Aging Tim Howard, you got an yeah. aging Brad Guzan. You really, I mean, Guzan I mean, should even be on the line. Nick, Nick Romando is probably after those two, you know, is probably yeah. your next best option. I would say you know, Bill Hamid at this Hamid point. Did great. Hamid, I, Hamid, thought, I, I think right.
0: we're turning to younger keepers at this point. I think you got Hamid, you have there's a guy playing in Europe right now, like Norway, and he's a younger guy that I can't put my finger on but then you got Jesse Gonzalez too I think that's the direction we're heading
1: and, and and you have Jonathan Klinsman in the U20 system who played you know an absolutely brilliant tournament in the U20 World Cup I mean he's he's going to be an up and coming guy to watch and obviously he's playing over in in Germany right now so that'll be an interesting interesting guy to watch as well
0: One last note that kind of relates both to Gold Cup and to USL Dom Dwyer gets knocked off the 23-man squad for the knockout stages, and a lot of people have opinions about this. Uh, If you don't know, Dom Dwyer scored against Ghana in our friendly. He scored the first goal of our Gold Cup against Panama, and he, in general, had been a really good presence when he was in the lineup. People are saying, you know, a couple people jokingly, nice to see that we're going backwards with Altador now. (laughs) But... um, I mean what do you guys think about that
2: I was shocked by that move um, you know some of the other changes we talked about I uh, you know I understand it. I agree with those uh, taking Dom Dwyer out I just don't understand it, especially when he's been doing pretty well uh, he, you know when he's when he's hot you keep him in there and you see what he what he can do and yeah I don't have anything else to say I just don't really understand that move I mean you still got to remember too I mean we you're coming, to the, you're coming to the end of the Gold Cup.
1: You need to see if you've got guys at this point who can still help you as far as qualifying for the World Cup yet. I mean, you've got matches coming up in September and in October, and those are going to be huge matches at that point. I mean, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty in, in, in qualifying stage. I don't think you want the USA being in that fourth spot and trying to have, have to fight their way into the World Cup on a playoff. You know, we need to see if some of these guys... Now can can be a, a force as you've got players, you know, aging players such as an outdoor such as a Clint Dempsey. If they go down, yeah. Granted, you still got Jordan Morris, you know, you you still got Christian Pulisic. I mean, great. I get that.
0: Bobby Wood too. Bobby Wood, Bobby too, Wood Yeah.
1: You know, but but still, you know, you've got to find out if these guys are 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 capable enough of handling the pressure. Why not give them this opportunity right now? This is a perfect opportunity to, to see if they can handle that pressure. And,
0: and what it says to me is that I think the U.S. and, you know, I think Bruce Arena really sees this as an opportunity to win the Gold Cup because Mako largely has a B lineup. You know, they're not playing their best. They're looking like they might be very vulnerable to an upset in the quarters or semifinals, especially if they get drawn against Jamaica or Panama, two teams that have looked very dangerous. I think one of them will make the final. But I think it's an opportunity for the U.S. to win this thing. And I think Arena senses that, hey, we might have a better chance this year than 2019. And we want to get back to Confederations Cup. So... I think I think that's what the explanation is but I really don't know how much of a help it is to take Dwyer off.
1: And I, and I don't either. And I, you know I think is you know as as well as the season as Dom Dwyer has been having in MLS, you know and, and on top of it, you know, you get you, you get your first caps as you know as a US national team member and you played so well in these I I didn't even agree with with not playing him in a second game. I mean, you know not seeing Dwyer in the lineup for the second match, you're sitting there going, why he played such a good role in the in the opener and now Dom Dwyer's not even not even seeing the field in game two. I understand you're trying to fit, you're trying to feel out who's gonna who's gonna be good and who's gonna take you going forward. But still, I mean it's yeah. just the effort that Dwyer had been putting out the entire time had been superseding what, what you'd been seeing the entire tournament.
2: Yeah, I felt like Dwyer also had something to prove, you know, getting called up and just You could tell he he was playing with a lot of heart, and that's somebody you want on your roster. I totally agree with that.
0: So shall we get into closing thoughts for this week?
1: I think, like I said earlier, as as we talked through the match this week, I think the experiment at center back of Amadou Dia needs to come to an end. Uh, As much as I love seeing Amadou Dia on the field, I think his natural position is left back. You know, if, if Jordan Stewart is not healthy enough or whether he's just not producing well enough to be in that center back position with Peter Ramage, you have a capable center back sitting on the bench. And, and even at times, he's not even on the 18, and Uchen Uzo, who we all know from last year, is such a beast playing that center back position. That is someone we need. We need his height. We need, he, we need his, his body muscle. I mean, what he did last year, you know, before before his freak injury, you know, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. I think it's time to start going back to him. Put Amadou Dia back on the left where he belongs. Um, I loved it. I loved in the David Rappaport interview, which was interesting how he praises Cody Macasa and how everybody – who either listens to our podcast or, or writes us on Twitter, just please. Why are we playing Cody again? Why are we, what, you know, why can't we get rid of Cody off the right? Well, now you have an owner who feels that Cody's the, the best option we have on the right right now. So, you know, I think it's time to start putting the players that need to be on the field that could help us the most. And I think that's Chen Uzo in the center. I think that's. Um, Dia on the left, which gives us the best option. And then obviously, once we get Alessandro Rigi back in the lineup, you get him, you get Jason Johnson, you get Sean, a, a healthy Sean Wright Phillips, because obviously he didn't play this week because of injury. Um, and and you've got Didier Drogba. I mean, the, the, the options there are endless at this point. And when you get all your options and you get everything hitting on all cylinders, I mean, this unbeaten streak can go for a while. I mean, we could be looking at 9, 10, 11 games, you know, before possibly something happens. So.
0: Or we could be looking at it ending in the next two weeks against either Tulsa <laughs> or San Antonio, which I think is going to happen. Uh, hopefully my pessimism is misplaced. Just as playing devil's advocate here, though, you have Victor Vasquez, who's been our a pretty big fixture in our starting lineup. So if you're going to move Dia back to left back, what happens to Vasquez? Does he just take the pine? Do you try to move him to right back? And then, because, and then the other thing is, who do we slot in Wakasa's place if you're serious about trying to replace him? Because, yeah, we've seen AJ Gray, but he tends to be more of a central defender. He's played back there before and honestly hasn't been that great at it. So, I mean, it's not a perfect situation, but if that's your only position where you're really searching for answers, that's a lot better than where Arizona United was the last couple of years, and it's a relatively good problem to have.
1: Yes, it is, you know, and you know maybe you know maybe Vasquez is a guy who who either slots in that defensive midfield role maybe a little bit, or maybe he maybe he's a guy that. He likes to be that roamer, and maybe you put him on. The, maybe you put him on the left, opposite of Jason Johnson, if he were to say go on the right. You know, I think Vasquez is a good runner, and I think he's got good crossing ability. I just think he's mismatched for the position that he's at right now. I just I don't think left back is the right spot for him. I think the midfield seems to be a little bit of a better spot for him.
0: So give me your starting back four.
1: If my, if I had to give you a starting back four right now, I'd I say you've got to put Dia on the left, you put Ramage and Uzo in the middle, and you put right now Cody Wakasa on the right. I, I I still think, you know, Cody played one of his better games this week. You know, we knock him so much. But, you know, you saw him play a little bit more of a defensive role. He did jump up in the play at times when it was called for but I thought his defensive play last night was one of the better games. He didn't get turned around as much as he normally does. He played his man quite well. I mean, there was a time, there was even a time where Ramage came out and covered on the right flank, and it was nice to see Cody drop back in and realize, "Hey, this is where I need to be." He's starting to figure things out a little bit. And I think now that he's started to figure things out, I think it only enhances his role a little bit better. I think you may see better play out of him.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you have yeah, and I think if you have Ramage and Uzo back there too, that also helps support Wakasa so we're not as exposed from some of his uh, mistakes that he might make.
0: I mean, he's a rookie too. He's got a long career ahead of him. I think you're right. We have seen better performances the last month. Ever since he had a couple uh, tough penalties, the one against Whitecaps too. But I think I think we've seen some growth. And I remember there was one sequence last night where he made a couple big blocks on crosses that were coming into the middle. First, he, uh, a defender tried to spin him around, but he stuck with it. And then he tried to cross it, and he knocked it out for a throw-in, not even a corner. So uh, we are seeing some better stuff from Wakasa. And you know, I don't know if this team has the patience to stick with him, but if we do, he could end up being back there for a while. I think maybe that's what David Rappaport is thinking of when he has high praises for the guy.
2: So my uh, final thoughts here, uh, some things that I really liked that I saw last night was um, Phoenix dominating possession at 67%. I mean, granted, the first half didn't you know capitalize on that much, uh, and then Jason Johnson came in and um, changed that for us. But the other thing was just the – I saw the stats of the number of passes. I think they had like 530 passes with a high 80% accuracy, which um, was, was a nice improvement. You know, something we've been needing for a while is to retain that possession. The other things, you know, without Peter Ramage, I, I felt he stepped up really big last night. You know, maybe would have had a different result if he wouldn't have had as good of a match as he did. Um, so I, I thought he did really well. The other thing was the crowd last night just really got into it. Uh, they just started clapping and cheering and going crazy just right before Johnson got his first goal. And actually, I have a bruised finger from clapping so hard last night. Just <laughs> trying to get used to wearing this ring now. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was awesome. The crowd just got into it, and then right when uh, Drogba came up to the, the corner kick that Johnson headed in, the crowd got just really amped as well. Um, so I thought that was awesome to see. And then just one other comment: There's, um, you know, there's always some articles going around about you know MLS expansion rankings. Uh, there was a post by SBI Soccer, and they posted an article where they ranked every team into tiers. Uh, first tier, I believe, all the way into fourth or fifth tier. I kind of, you know, it irritated me a little bit just because of the lack of research. You know, Didn't
0: they put us in sixth place or something? We
2: third tier. And the reasoning behind this was, to date, they have seen no plans for a stadium. Okay. Which is wrong. Wrong, yep. And <laughs> you literally, it's so easy to find on Phoenix Rising's website. There's some renderings of their stadium, along with some basic information. Yeah, granted, you're not going to have blueprints at that time. They, it wasn't that detailed, right? Um, the other thing was the financing. They were not un- they were unclear of that. I don't understand that. I mean, it's privately funded. They're backed by Goldman Sachs. We have the land secured. Um, it was just a crap article uh, ranking. I mean, some of them I agreed with. I just put Phoenix in the third tier, saying that they're kind of like a dark horse. I believe they classified us as yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. It, you know, I understand everybody has their opinions. I might be a little biased. <laughs> um, if you could argue, you know, Phoenix is third or fourth, you know, okay, I, I can give you that. And I understand the, the arguments for that, but to put them in third tier, basically saying they're, they're not going to even make it into the, the fourth position. I, you know, I disagree with that. So anyways, you know, um, those were kind of my thoughts. I hope hopefully they saw my eight Twitter posts and uh, did their
0: research and for their next update. I mean, this is uh, the author, by the way, Colton Qureshi, I think he was just trolling us because uh, this is literally the second line of the article. The ownership group lacks the flash of its competitors. Are you out of your mind? We have we have Drogba. We have Pete Wentz. We have Brandon McCarthy. We have Diplo. Are you kidding That's
2: me? That's really what Phoenix is all about. That's what they've been built upon, right?
0: Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, so, okay. Good luck taking it serious there. <laughs> um, okay. And then they get into stadium concerns. Um, team retained Goldman Sachs as an agent. Aside from an expected capacity of 20,000 and being fully privately financed, very little is known. No renderings, which is wrong. Any construction will need to factor in the ridiculous heat. Yeah, there are eight other months of the year. We can use those and build at night. Or not in peak hours. Uh, Probably with an indoor air-conditioned environment. Until that is unveiled and the details announced, they have been. Do your homework. (laughs) There isn't a reason to leap Phoenix over the teams ahead of them. Oh, here's another thing they don't mention. We actually have land! These other places don't have land. These other places have taken years to have land. Miami just got it a couple months ago, over three years after the original plan to get into MLS. And here's another thing. they Nashville got a lot of publicity. I don't, I don't mean to uh, single out Nashville too hard here. I think they have a solid chance could win that four spot. But there was a lot of big publicity coming out of Nashville a couple weeks ago. Uh, When Don Gubber visited, oh, you know, this is a really great up and coming city with a lot of potential. We were very impressed with them filling a stadium with 45,000 soccer fans to see us. We've been getting 60,000 regularly here. So don't come at us with that, all right? We've done that like consistently at University of Phoenix Stadium. So
2: We'll probably do that this week, too, if Mexico's there. It's a good chance, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, Mexico should be playing there, as we discussed. So, yeah, we, we shouldn't dwell on this too much, but this, this person really did not do their homework when they're looking into the Phoenix bid. And...
1: Getting back into uh, to your thought, Matt, on the on fans and their, and their efforts last night. Big ups to Patrice Carterone last night, right before the the Draga corner kick and, and Johnson goal. Carterone gets up off of his off of his chair at, on the touchline, turns around to the fans, raises his arms in the air to get him up and get them going. I that's awesome. H- how often do you see a coach <laughs> turn around and try to get the fans into it? You don't. You rarely ever see that. Whether he, whether it's MLS, whether it's Premier League, whether it's Bundesliga. You don't see that most of the time. Yeah, you see reactions of goals afterwards, but to turn around and get the fans right into it uh, in, in a pivotal point in the match, I mean, I've never seen that, but kudos, to, yeah, was kudos to Patrice for that. I was wondering where that
2: spark came from because as soon as that, you know, he, he must have been over there getting the, the crowd involved, and as soon as we started seeing them over there in that section, the sporter section went crazy, then the other, it just, was a, just spread like fire, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, my final point will be the Drogba difference. Even though Drogba didn't score in this match, ever since he has come in, ever since Carter Run's come in, this team refuses to lose. We just We can be playing poorly for the vast majority of a match and just find a way to get a point. Find a way to get three points. Find a way to do something productive on the night. And we've seen it before and we see it again last night one of the poorest 60 minute performances of our season. And yet uh, the guys never say no. I think Drogba's presence gives people the confidence that they did not have earlier in the season in these difficult spots. So even when Drogba's not the guy coming up for that first goal in the 66th minute, um, just seeing Drogba right to your side is giving Jason Johnson the confidence to, Hey, I'm going to go up there and at least see what, we can do because this is something that Drogba doesn't practice and he's showing me how to do it uh, and then perfect delivery on that corner kick how many times did we see the first couple months of the year we weren't getting that kind of delivery and chances went begging and another off field part of the Drogba difference you guys see that uh, ESPN FC put an article up out about Florent Maluda potentially being interested in Phoenix rising I mean that's that would be a huge get because without going into the whole French Guiana thing, which I think French Guiana got screwed because CONCACAF had several weeks where they could have notified them before they did, right as the tournament was starting. And then they could have done that a whole appeals process before the tournament started. But you know, that's neither here nor there. Florent Maluda can still play. I mean, he had some a couple of nice moves, a couple of good shots. He's 37, so he actually would fit right in with the Drogba <laughs> <laughs> Bravo uh, front line. And, but, you know, in all seriousness, give us even more visibility and potentially be a great vehicle to recruit players from the Caribbean, too. Um, we're, we're starting to get a reputation, I think, as a destination for a lot of players. I mean, yeah, older ones, too, but... If, if we can even bring Maluda in, now we become a destination for not only African nations, but also people with French backgrounds and the uh, Caribbean, especially French speaking nations in the Caribbean. So especially with Carterone in here too, I think there aren't many other teams in the U.S. that are starting to get the inroads on that kind of a recruiting system, which we could be getting. And that all ties back to the Drogba difference. So I think that'll do it for today, unless anyone has anything to add. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Sunday following our match against Tulsa. Hopefully that'll be following another win. Uh, We also will be on midweek. I'll try to do a 15 or 20 minute podcast with Roger Graham. So hopefully we'll get that going for you guys probably on Wednesday or Thursday. And then again on Sunday following the match. Thank you for listening and have a good week. Have a great week, everybody.
4: Go Rising. Phoenix Rising minority owner, David Rappaport. Uh, good to have you finally uh,
5: join us on the Rising is One podcast, David. Thanks. actually been waiting for a while to get on this podcast. It's, it's pretty exclusive. tough to get on it.